I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Dana calling from the city of Chicago, where John McEnroe won his last singles title in 1991, and I was there to see it. And you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, and thank you to Dana, who introduced our show just there. Who knew that John McEnroe won his last ever singles title in Chicago in 1991? I think the answer to that question might be... David Law. Did you know, David? I did. <laughs> of course you did. Took no time at all for that to uh, to just click off in my brain the moment Dana said it. So thank you for that reminder that I didn't need, Dana. Thank you very much, Dana. If you would uh, like to introduce a show, then uh, that option is available to you via becoming a friend of the Tennis Podcast. The link to do that is in our show notes, as always. Matt is here. Matt, how are you doing? Hello. Very well, thank you. was very much before you were born. <laughs> yes, I did need the <laughs> reminder. Thank you, Dana. <laughs> Matt said in a in a WhatsApp group this week with uh, me, David, and my brother Math, the WhatsApp group that I think is still called Alcarazmataz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt said the words that makes me feel old. <laughs> what was he referring mm. to? Tough, tough crowd for I that. I got in Matt. trouble yeah. for that. Crowd. Some of us are grey. Saying. <laughs> Was that because Arthur Fees was born in 2004? Was that what I was referring to? I think it was, yes. Um, Because tennis has been happening, folks. And despite the fact that, with all due respect, the the tournaments have been been on, none of the, the sort of individual tournaments have felt like they're sort of massively significant in the tennis calendar. We are in that sort of slight nether zone that I I always think must be very hard for the casual fan to understand in between uh, the Australian swing and the sunshine double and the swing leading up to that we're in the sort of there's some outdoor tournaments there's a sort of separate clay swing happening in South America there's some European indoor events happening it's all a bit sort of confusing but we have had some really cool electric exciting young players uh, bring themselves to our attention over the last week or so. And one of them is, of course, Artifice, who makes Matt feel old. That's how young he is. And uh, we're going to be talking about all of them. 
Um, provided we've remembered how to do how to do a podcast. It's been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? I'm very sorry to report that that none of us are in Australia, no. uh, which is a great disappointment to me. Um, but we will soon be in Indian Wells. Yeah, we- which is. Probably pretty tremendous. Shouldn't be asking for the violins, really, should we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, three weeks today, folks. We will all be on planes to Indian Wells. Thanks to On Location, who are sponsoring the podcast at the moment and sending all of us to Indian Wells. They are the premium hospitality and experience provider and they are taking care of my uh, post-Australia blues for which I am very, very grateful. So where should we start our roundup of what has happened in the tennis world uh, over the last couple of weeks? Should we start in Abu Dhabi uh, where a women's tournament has been taking place? This is it's not a new tournament this year, is it? it? It Was this one that first popped up during the pandemic and then has sort of lingered, st- stuck around post-pandemic? Is that right? I've already asked a question nobody can answer. <laughs> Moving on. I think this is its first year. <laughs> but But there was a tournament in Abu Dhabi, definitely in 2021, in in yes. that Australian Open, in, in the Australian Open oh, where yes. everyone had to quarantine. That's right. An Abu Dhabi tournament popped up. Now I sure. remember, yes. Yes. Um, and maybe it didn't happen last year, but so I don't know. Yes. Now, I, I do remember what you mean, the, the one you mean now. And of course, two years ago, the Australian Open was later, wasn't it? It was, uh, it yes. was in February. So uh, now it all... <laughs> No, it all adds and qualifying up. was it? Qualifying was in the Middle East, wasn't it? It was all yeah. Goodness s- me. Some strange, some strange things happened. It's o- it's okay for everyone to have wanted to block that period out of their <laughs> minds. Uh, let's let's dwell on it no long no longer. Uh, the the new incarnation of Abu Dhabi was won for for what we think might be the first time uh, by Belinda Benchit. She beat Ludmilla Samsonova in a. In a brilliant final, one six seven six six four for Benchich. I really think of these tournaments, sort of this portion of the season, these size events. I think of these as the Belinda Benchich sweet spot. It would not surprise me at all if she ends up putting together a streak um, in in Dubai. She's had a lot of success in Dubai before, hasn't she? Like, it does not surprise me at all that Belinda Benchich is having this success, and yet. I very rarely predict it for her at, at Grand Slams and that question mark still very much remains for me, particularly after that performance she, she put in against Sabalenka at the Australian Open. But, Matt, she, she was brilliant this week and it was a brilliant final against Samsonova, wasn't it? I feel like you watch a lot of Lyudmila Samsonova. <laughs> is, is, that, is that how you feel as well? That's right. And I think I was I was drawn to this match because this was the drama match from the 2021 Billie Jean King Cup finals where the Russian Tennis Federation sort of manipulated their team in order to get Samsonova as their number one against Bengtschik because Samsonova had a really good head-to-head record against Bengtschik. She um, she led it to love going into that final a couple of years ago. She obviously won that match as they won the Billie Jean King Cup. 
So she came into this final against Benčić with a 3-0 and head-to-head lead against her. And I watched the first set of this match and thought, well, this is clearly just one of those matchups in tennis that favours one player so much more than the other because this was... This was 6-1 in about half an hour and Samsonova was absolutely unplayable. Uh, 16 winners, five unforced errors, like amazingly good. And I think it's huge credit to Bencic that she managed to stick in there and extend the rallies a bit and just sort of force Samsonova's level to come down. Like it was, it was almost unsustainable. It was so good. And as it turned out, it was. And... And yet she still had to save three championship points, Bencic, in the second set tiebreak. It was back and forth. It was dramatic. Um, and then she went through and, and won the final set. And what it means is that she's only lost two matches all year, Bencic. The one you were referring to against Sabalenka at the Australian Open. But, you know, I agree. Like, I think the way that match played out was a little bit disappointing from Benchich in the second set she kind of went away there she didn't have the grit that she showed in this match for example against Samsonova but obviously everyone lost to Sabalenka at, at the Australian Open um, and then she lost as well to Iga Swiatek at the start of the year you know the world number one other than that she's won two titles this year and I agree there's still there's still a definite question mark over the slams and over the, that sort of resilience in the slams. But I do think her her general level is is going up a little bit, Benchik. I was I was really really impressed with her in this week and and in this final in particular. I can't remember exactly the timing of the discussion, but it was either at the very end of last season as a result of off the back of. Benchic being instrumental in the Billie Jean King Cup uh, victory for Switzerland or it was in one of our Australian Open preview podcasts and we were all saying look the tennis is obviously there from Benchic we we all love the tennis and you Matt said I want to see her dig her heels in mm. in in a Grand Slam match and and I I that clicked for me I was like yes that's exactly it that is what I am unconvinced about with Belinda Benchic and this is exactly what we saw from her yesterday against Sam, totally. against Samsonova. Totally dug her heels in those three championship points saved. And yet I can't really think of any Grand Slam matches where I've seen that happen. And, it, it, you know, g- given that... Given that women play the same format at Grand Slams as what they play at tour level, you, you wouldn't expect there to be such such obvious sort of differences in how players are able to perform at the uh, at the pointy moments and yet you know we've seen it with Pliskova haven't we repeatedly in the past sort of failing to peak at the right moment failing to be sort of in absolutely prime mental condition at a slam when it counts the most and I don't know. I, I, I don't understand it from, from Belinda Bencic because she so clearly has it in her. That that could be part of it, that she's coming up against players who are peaking at the Grand Slams and are therefore a more formidable force for those two out of three sets. I think a degree of panic can set in. You just don't have the time. And yes, that's the same yesterday, but 
Samsonova at her peak is not going to be the same as Sabalenka was at her peak a few weeks ago. And I do think the sheer stakes of, of a Grand Slam can come into play, the size of the stadium, everything else. I mean, I think Bencic has just got a a, a clean slate in her mind because she's she's got that off her back of winning the Billie Jean King Cup. She, that really mattered, I think, to her. She has got a new coach. That There's a new sort of start for her effectively this year and and it seems to me that she's she's determined to make the most of her career which which is all all I want from her if she's not good enough in the end or if somebody else is better fine but I think that there's there's been too much left on the table in her career to this point and uh yes it is quite Belinda Bencic like for her to go and win Abu Dhabi like this and not necessarily back it up at a at a major tournament in the future but this is a few weeks now. This is end of last year, followed up by a decent slam showing. Not not perfect, but decent. Uh, certainly not a flop. And now she's gone and won a title, particularly from a set down against a player she struggled with. I'd have said that. And she's beaten some other good players along the way this week. So um, I think that's a, a heck of a good effort. Mm, yeah, I agree. And I think I think in the past where I've seen that, grit and that resilience has been in in Billie Jean King Cup and I think for to now be sort of doing that on the tour I think I think is maybe a step up as well like she's such a contrast Bengtschich because her tennis is so smooth you know that's that's why she's on the backhand list because it's just it's just a very aesthetically pleasing game that she has and and yet when she marries that with grit and resilience it becomes a really great combination but but finding that sort of perfect balance of the two I think I think can be quite tricky and and yeah she has she's yet to demonstrate that in slams but I do think the the overall sort of progress and sort of trajectory that she's on is is a really good one at the moment she's she's not playing Doha this week is she but she is playing Dubai which seems like smart scheduling to me I think I was worried that she would be playing all three, all three back to back. But yeah, which must must be tempting, you know, given you're you're in the area, <laughs> it's local. Um, it's but difficult, I, you though, know, isn't I, it? that that scheduling yeah. element I think is really difficult. I mean, uh, talking to to Pam the other week about well, which tournament should Donna Vekic plays, and she she likes the indoors, and she's playing Lintz this week, and. And you can play lights out tennis or have a, a fantastic few days, but you could completely wear yourself out and not have enough mm. left for the next shift of time zone and conditions and and with loads more points on the line. It's it isn't easy, and yet I I kind of enjoy these tournaments as as sort of a fact finding mission as a, as a tennis fan and spectator is to we've discovered a load of new players and we've discovered a load of new form from players that maybe I hadn't thought too much about for a while. Yeah, that's actually a really brilliant way of looking at it. I feel like this is a time of year when us, like the hardcore, the nerdy tennis fans get into the trenches and we do data gathering <laughs> to, to to bring to everybody else and say, look, when you're ready to tune back into tennis again, <laughs> these are the people you should be looking out for. These are the people that, that you should be excited, excited about. 
and that we expect to be relevant, but will almost certainly be completely wrong. And I lean on your brother a little bit. He he'll sometimes throw a seed in of a player that he's watching that I haven't <laughs> I haven't turned on yet. And then well, I, well, I tell you what, Math was talking about Artifice before before we were talking about Artifice. He was very like, oh, will he jolly come lately? <laughs> um, Luca but he's Nardi's also very much dropped. stopped talking about <laughs> Luca Nardi because he's basically not won a match since that, he that's picked him. The key to, with all of that, everything. isn't it? You know, you just go early, throw a few out, <laughs> and then One stay quiet land. about the ones that completely <laughs> dive and then just, you know, big up the ones that you make, make good on. Um, just before we move on to talk about the uh, the exciting um, youngsters that have emerged on the ATP side this week in Linz, David, that you mentioned, Anastasia Potapova beat Petra Martic 6-3, 6-1 to win the title there. She's a funny one, Potapova, because she does have these results. You know, that's a cracking week for her. And yet she's so rarely, really relevant, Potapova, mm. I think. One win over Angelique Kerber at the French Open, but you know Kerber at the French Open, not the same player as as at any other Slam. And a prodigious you know, junior, wasn't she? She didn't she prodigious win Wimbledon junior? Juniors? Um, yeah, yeah, she did. Um, you know, obviously a good player, but I just feel like we don't. She doesn't make us talk about her very often. Um, Maria Sakkari. Uh, as as you said in the WhatsApp group, Matt obviously lost in another semi final. Um, yeah, I mean it's this is this is sort of her pattern now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean she beat uh, Donna Vekic in the quarters. I think that would have been, and played well in that match. That was that was a great contest it was really close i think i think they're quite good friends aren't they 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 certainly had yeah. a lovely mm, moment yeah. at the net afterwards but it was one of those matches that that didn't get in the way at all you know it was still extremely sort of fiercely contested which i really enjoyed and honestly i looked at the players left in left in that draw and i think a year ago i would have thought sakari will go on to win that tournament that was when i still sort of had a lot of belief in maria sakari mm. but Honestly, the last the last year has has chipped away at that, and I and I didn't I didn't back her to to close it from that position, and yeah. and in the end that's what's happened. But she's very aware of that. I know, like she doesn't need everyone telling her that she can't win semifinals or close tournaments where she's supposed to win. But I I just don't know how how it's going to be resolved, sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah, okay, we'll stop telling her. <laughs> we'll move on. We'll move on quickly to um to Dallas and what I'm going to confidently say that this is a new event. I think ATP Dallas, right? No. I oh, think God, they, I got this wrong. I think they had Dallas last year. Right? Is it it's Austin that's new? It's the Austin WTA event. Austin's new. That's right, Catherine. Well Next done. Next week. That's new. <laughs> They're both Texas. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Dallas Fort Worth, which was new. <laughs> yeah, that was new too. Dallas yeah. was, was new last year, won by uh, okay. Riley Apelka last year. Right. Riley's okay. just writing in to complain, having won it. <laughs> How on earth could I have forgotten that? <laughs> well, in its in its second year, 
Uh, the title in a in Dallas has been won by Wu Yibing. Wu is the first Chinese player in history, not only to win an ATP title, but even to reach an ATP final. He's the highest ATP ranked Chinese player in history now. This was his first career top 10 win over Taylor Fritz in the semifinals. Saw quite a bit of that match. Um, he's the first Chinese male player ever to get a top 10 win. And then he went on to beat John Isner 6-7, 7-6, 7-6 in the final. This guy is electric. He's he's an electric tennis player. He's an electric story. That final was an it was electric in 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 extremely um in an extremely bizarre turn of events uh, i was the only one of the three of us last night it emerged that was watching the super bowl i texted the group <laughs> saying uh, asking some questions about nfl because obviously i was completely confused um and matt replied saying uh, i'm actually watching uh, the final in uh, in dallas of the atp tour event and david was in bed so i was like <laughs> What is this weird world where I'm watching NFL on my own? You weren't even watching the Super Bowl. You were watching the pre-game show. <laughs> and yes, even started because, Matt, I didn't realise how extensive the pre-game was. <laughs> I realise now that any, um, any NFL fans that also listen to this podcast must have laughed their pants off at me while I'm having little rants about the faff in tennis. Because tennis knows nothing of faff, it turns <laughs> out. I mean, NFL has called it, it's patented faff. It's it's got a monopoly on faff. I I couldn't couldn't believe the extent of the faff. You know the last uh, the, night. the F in NFL stands for faff. <laughs> yeah, well, it wouldn't bloody surprise me. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought I'd watch the national anthem. I'd watched everybody tear up. Uh, while um, someone was singing about America, lovely. And then it turned out that wasn't the national anthem. Somebody else gets wheeled out, Chris Stapleton, I think. There was a brief moment when I thought it was Blake Shelton, <laughs> not Blake Shelton, someone else with long hair that sings country music. And then he started pumping out the actual na- national anthem. And everyone started tearing up at that. And I thought, okay, we're good to go. And then there's some sort of military event. And then there's a fly pass. <laughs> and some cheerleaders come out. And all the while, there's about sort of 1,200 people standing around on the pitch. And you're like, which which one of these is a professional sports person? And who's everybody else? <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, while I was just marveling at, at that, Matt was watching Wu, <laughs> Wu Yiping do incredible things. <laughs> I was. I mean, this... Honestly, this match was, was mainly about the tiebreak at the end. I mean, it was it was a decent final up till then. Um, but the but the tiebreak was as dramatic as, as you will ever see, really. They both saved multiple match points. Isner... Isner had a, a volley on top of the net on one of his match points, which he which he dumped into the net, and I think that was his moment to win it. Um, his his forehand slightly let him down. Isner had a few times where he was sort of in position to take control, but just a little bit wayward. But really, it was it was all about Wu Yi Bing. I mean, 
Isner used the word unflappable to describe him. And I thought that was actually, that was right on. Um, and he gave a quote after after beating Fritz, which will sort of ring true for anyone who, who listened to our Monica Seles um, relived episode, where Mary described Monica Seles as one of her defining features was playing without really knowing the score. And um, Wu Yi Bing said after beating Fritz that he does that. He plays without thinking about the score, without thinking wow. about winning or losing. And I think superpower. I think that really comes across in in how mm. he plays. He's 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 locked in, but he's loose at the same time. And he's a fantastic shot maker. Uh, David, you you put on our Twitter that he's got these whiplash ground strokes, and that was that was really what what stood out to me as well. Com- combined with great athletic movement um he can kind of he can kind of do everything and and he played Shapovalov and he played Fritz and he he made them look less like the shot makers that they are because he was the he was the one coming up with with the amazing shots and that that really stood out to me he made Taylor Fritz look like a sort of grinder like a Mm. really ordinary grinder they're heaving the ball at him and he's just sort of retaliating it, it, it was it was like i would imagine if you had a jedi playing tennis it's like he's got a lightsaber rather than a tennis racket he's just deflecting these balls and get, they're going off great a million miles an hour back, back in the other direction mm. and he can he can inject that pace with seemingly the same shot it, it, he's not suddenly throwing his whole body into it to generate this crazy pace of shot this point ending power from a very slight frame i mean he's listed at six feet tall that is a joke he isn't i know he was standing next to 610 john isner but he's not a tall man uh he's he's super fast around the court um but he he has the power off the ground of somebody well with a bigger frame and i suppose it does remind me if i go back in years of an of an Agassi type ball striker and and the way he returns and makes you pay as a servant volleyer and i mean John Isner was not backing down, in, and Isner plays like a big man. He he's got big man's tennis of of going for it. He and even if he misses, he doesn't he doesn't make the mistake of trying to play counter punching tennis as a as a six foot ten man. He plays massive tennis, and he had match points. He's got the tie breaks that he wants, and yet Will Bing just doesn't blink. He doesn't. Unflappable is a great way of putting it. He. he he just has the most brilliant demeanour to hurt you with. And he he's a name that we knew about and first heard about about five or six years ago. He was a prodigious junior, uh, Orange Bowl finalist in 2016, lost that Orange Bowl final to Mirmir Ketsmanovic, just to to give you an idea of sort of what, what class he was was part of. Um, and then the following year, I think he reached the final of the Australian Open uh, boys uh, tournament and won both the singles and the doubles at the US Open juniors that year. And in so doing, became the first Chinese male to win a Grand Slam title. That was a huge deal. You know, we, we did our Tennis Relived episode on Lee Na and talked about how she completely changed the game for, for Chinese tennis. But it really was very particularly Chinese women's tennis in the first instance. And everybody was waiting 
for the wave of of men to arrive and it felt like he was going to be the first one and he really was talked about at the time um so where's he been i hear you ask you know he's he's 23 23 years old now well he had a, a terrible injury um i think at the end of the 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 2018 season um just as he's sort of making his first inroads onto onto the main tour elbow injury I think had to have uh, a, a pretty significant surgery, and then, of course, I don't know if if anybody remembers this. There was a global pandemic. <laughs> um, Rings a bell. And he he sort of got grounded and stuck in a a cycle, s- stuck in a a sort of vortex in China because of because of the injury and the timing of it. His sort of comeback from that, we, you know. He was laid off for a long time with that injury, massive deal, surgery, etc. Um, but by the time he was sort of ready to come back, he was stuck in a vortex of only being able to play national, low-level events. It's like he's been held back from from the world of, of top-level professional tennis and he's just been unleashed mm. on us all, which is a really exciting project. It's like he's been incubating in a chrysalis <laughs> and now he's emerging as a butterfly it's, it's really cool mm. it, it was it was quite interesting that he played Shapovalov because they're both 23 and they've both had the complete opposite experiences like as you said like the opposite of what Wuyi Bing has gone has gone through is what Shapovalov hugely hyped living on the tour as a as a you know young player having to develop on the tour in the spotlight whereas Wu Yi being the complete opposite and you know he he was ranked outside the top 1000 this time this time last year he he tried making a comeback um in January last year got injured again and then it wasn't until it wasn't until the summer that he won a load of of challenger matches to get his ranking up, qualified at the US Open last year, won a couple of rounds and played um played Daniil Medvedev on on Arthur Ashe, but it was on it was on the same night as Serena Tomjanovic. It was it was the match that followed. And that that sort of tells you the story of Wu Yi being there as well. You know, he should have had the great spotlight moment there, and yet, you know, he was following Serena and I'm not even sure we covered that match that night because Serena was such a big story. Like, again, he was sort of in the shadows a little bit. But now, as you said, he's he's up, I think, into the top 60 now, maybe even higher. And it's like his career has been totally rebooted and, and relaunched. And he's got a game that I think is going to cause players a lot of trouble. I think it's going to make him very popular with, with fans. Like, I... That was another thing that I picked up on that even though he was playing Fritz and Isner in America, felt like he had quite a lot of support there. I think they really warmed to him. I think um, I think Blair Henley, who was doing the interviews, did a really good job after the matches of sort of bringing out some of his personality as well. He's he's done a lot of model photo shoots and and at one point he sort of did a big pose for the crowd and and sort of pouting and yeah he was he was he was really engaging with the crowd i think i think they liked all that and just a just a great sort of person to have injected into the into the atp tour you know just just feels like 
that that he can really help sort of invigorate and bring some life in into these sorts of weeks i think yeah but actually that that that's something and we'll, when we come on to talk about Otafis as well it's it it feels like we needed this really on the men's tour mm. a, a couple of lads who could come out and just make you think oh fresh blood you know new players people without baggage people with prodigious talent excitement and I don't want to be mean to the, those that have tried and failed in in the last couple of years to upset things for the top guys, but it has been quite disappointing, Alcaraz aside. I mean, Holger Rune has given some some sense that he he may have something for the future that can can live alongside that. But Alcaraz aside, it has been pretty dull, really, in in the next generation of players, a lot of them. And this week, just. You add them to Ben Shelton and then you put Alcaraz and Runer in it and there's just a pack of people there that you just want to follow. You want, I don't know whether the, whether they'll all make it, whether they'll all be as good as each other. There'll be some that drop off, but I'm, I care. I care about following what happens to Wu Yibing and Artafiz. Well, should we should we talk about Artafiz? Because he keeps on coming up and a lot of people will be going... Who? What is this? What is who? What? Um, he he didn't win the title in Montpellier no. this week, but he 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 was the story. Um, a wild card, eighteen years of age, again at a prodigious junior talent, a Frenchman, um, made it all the way to the semi-finals. The youngest Frenchman to reach the semi-finals at a tour level event since Richard Gasquet in Metz in two thousand and four. Don't know whether that's a stat that he'll necessarily want to hear about because it wasn't a good thing, was it, for Richard Gasquet really to uh, to get all the attention and the hype that he got as a what fifteen year old back back then. Um, but anyway, he ended up beating Gasquet, beating Roberto Bautista Agu, which I know he's not quite the player he once was, but that still is a a heck of a rite of passage for a young player, I think. And uh, beat Gregoire Barrère as well, and um, gave it a good go against Yannick Sinner in the uh, in the semi-final. Sinner eventually going on to win the title, beating Maxime Cressy seven yeah. six six three in the final. Cressy having beaten Holger Rune in the semis, uh, but because of Artifice, Maxime Cressy is not going to get the volume of uh, of airtime <laughs> on this tennis, tennis podcast that. Uh, that he might feel like he warrants uh, because oh, I find Artifis so exciting. Why? Um, well, look, he's, he's obviously got, got the game, hasn't he? He's got that fast arm. He's fast around the court, so quick around the court, can conduct a crowd. I couldn't, I mean, I can believe he's 80 and I knew he was that young because I'd been seeing his name in in junior draws over the course of the over the course of the last year or so I I can't honestly say that I'd seen him play um but I I was aware of his name um but he looks older doesn't he he's um he's got that Felix Auger-Aliassime thing of of you know physically Felix Auger-Aliassime looked the finished article sort of as soon as he emerged onto the scene and I'm I'm sure Artifice is is not at all the finished article physically but he looks well developed and strong and like he can handle it all 
you know, and he's got the chutzpah, David. Mm-hmm. That is the magic ingredient that I'm looking for yeah. in all these kids. He sure has. He's got the that balance of swagger and hashtag humbleness, like swagger that's not annoying. Yeah, that that takes that's, some finding, doesn't it? That is a difficult yeah, balance to strike. That's the secret ingredient for it, me. As a player and as a presence, he reminded me a lot of Alcaraz. Uh, in terms of his speed around the court and the way he hurts you from both sides. I mean, you get the ball on his forehand, he is coming after you. It doesn't matter who you are, where the ball is. He wants to hurt with every shot. And yet it's not wild. It doesn't feel wild to me anyway. Alcras is the most the most comparable player in terms of watching him. That make, he, he, he makes me gasp in a similar way. Uh, shots that I... I expect to be a rally ball and he's throwing his body into them and he's trying to take the racket out of your hand, no matter who you are. And I mean, look, he gave it a right good go against Yannick Sinner. He got a set point against him. I think Sinner showed, again, he's the man, he's the kryptonite to to Alcaraz, isn't he? Okay, he lost to him at the US Open, but he hurts Alcaraz because he's able to absorb those incredible, powerful blows with his skier-like agility and foundations and, and send the ball back at you. And, and he's, he's, the fin- he's much more the finished article, Sinner. He's, a, he's a, a, a kind of seasoned player now, even though he's only been on the, the tour for three years. This kid's raw. He, he's like a cult. You know, he's straight out. He's just learned how to stand up and, oh, my word, look at my legs. I'm off. And <laughs> he's just amazing to watch. Uh, and just like you say, the, the way he gets engaged with a crowd it's it's feel good it's just everybody's happy to be there yeah it it made me wish i was there i'm going to be very interesting to see him outside of france because french players in france it i think they are the i think my brother did some data analytics on this they are the as a nation um or as a tennis cohort they are the the most amplified generally by performing in at, at home tournaments you know Hugo Gaston <laughs> seems only be, to be able to play in, I knew in, his I name mean, was coming it might up. even be as limited to Paris um <laughs> not even necessarily the the rest of France imagine Fils um, when I get to watch him on Longland <sighs> oh my goodness he I mean wow but the point I was making was the opposite to that. It's, you know, can you do it on a wet day in Stoke? <laughs> and I think he can. I think he can. But I want to I want to see it just to make sure. Um, yeah, but I also want to see him on, on Long Len, just like we saw um, Hugo Gaston on Long Len last year, didn't we? Taking on uh, Alex de Menor. That was one of my moments of the French Open 2022. Um, so there's nothing wrong with being a French specialist, but uh, if we're if we're hyping this guy as you know someone to be invested in for years to come, want him to go I would global. like it if he could perform in in more than one country, <laughs> ideally. Um, in uh, a- anything to say on on Maxime Cressy? Is he happening? He's he's performing very creditably, Catherine, and he. <laughs> you've really you've really tempered your language. No, I mean uh, I think this <laughs> was a, this was a real achievement, really. You know, to because he's had a tough time for the last 
eight, ten months. And he just kept on coming forward, didn't he, with his serve volley game. I think he got to the, the doubles final as well last week. And, and you know, to beat Rune, who's, who's another one a bit like um, Wu Yibing, he's able to make life difficult for the big guys with, with his with his shot making, his returns, and yet he didn't win. Cressy just wore him down and eventually won and just won the one extra big point really or two. Um but it was I, I think he's he's probably gonna have quite an Isner like career. Maybe not as good as Isner's had, but he knows what he is, Cressy. He's coming forward, he's gonna keep serving big, volleying, asking you to pass him and most of the time, there'll be somebody who can. Uh, and this time, it was Yannick Sinner. But he'll beat an awful lot of players who just cannot handle, cannot deal with this relentlessness. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. In uh, Cordoba. 
in Argentina. Two Argentinians reached the final. Sebastian Baez beat uh, Federico Correa. I got the right Correa, folks. Well done, me. Uh, 6-1-3-6-6-3 in the final there. Just uh, staying in South America for a week. The big news, or, or for a moment, the big news from there is that Carlos Alcaraz is returning to the tour. He's playing in Buenos Aires this week at the 250 event. It's his first match since he retired uh, against Holger Rune in Paris with that oblique tear. I know the oblique tear isn't what kept him out of the Australian Open. That was a a subsequent uh, injury to his leg, wasn't it? But this is the first time we've seen him play or will have seen him play in, in 2023. He'll face either Fabio Fanini or Laszlo Gera in his uh, first match. Cameron Norrie, Lorenzo Mazzetti, Dominic Team, uh, Diego Schwartzman, the uh, the main players in the draw there. I'm so glad he's coming back. I'm anxious about it because it's it's been a long time and I just don't want him to be diminished in any way or be any more fearful or I don't know I just it was I just want him to be exactly (laughs) as he was when he when he won the US Open really and maybe that's maybe that's impossible maybe it'll be better I don't know um but I'm excited to have him back yeah me too I I think there's a lot going on with Alcaraz isn't there there's the is he over his injury and has that impacted him and then there's this new status that he has you know he 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 was the world number one and he he won a slam like he's been pretty open that those were his goals already like I think I think it was Nadal or maybe Federer one of the greats who who said something like you don't dream of winning multiple of everything you know you sort of you dream of winning one and getting to number one like that those are the the lofty goals and he's done that already and so quickly and I think having to having to readjust now and, and find new goals, and I think he's spoken about his goal sort of now being to actually like improve his game rather than set specific sort of title goals, which I think is quite interesting because you know I genuinely do think he can still improve as a tennis player quite a lot, which is what makes him so exciting as well. He's already this good, and he's got so far still to go. Um, but yeah, lots going on with Alcaraz and maybe maybe he'll need some time but I think he, he doesn't strike me as someone who's going into an event thinking yeah second round would be good that would be good progress like I think he's he's going to be wanting to win isn't he, yeah. he and sort of getting that balance right I think will be will be important for him as well I, I think perhaps what makes me just a little bit nervous is that situationally the position he's in is reminiscent a little bit of of what Dominic Team went through after he won his maiden Grand Slam. He he both experienced that mental and emotional readjustment and got injured at the same time. And we don't really know where one factor ends and the other begins for Dominic Team in terms of um you know the the wilderness that he's been in for the last couple of years it now he now seems to be completely fully fit and yet just a shadow with a player that he once was i i still 
I still have some hope, but uh, I know you two are uh, slightly more pessimistic on the Dominic team front. Now, look, there are the similarities do end there. You know, Alcaraz is a lot, lot younger than Dominic team. He's accumulated a lot, lot less baggage on the way, as you say. His success came came very quickly, whereas Dominic team felt like he was sort of pushing a rock uphill for for years against you know Nadal and Djokovic and desperately working and waiting for his breakthrough um so I I I'm not worried that you know he's going to spend the next two years in the wilderness like Dominic team but just that that combination of those two very significant factors that you've just described Matt it does just give me a little pause for for thought, mm. I suppose, with Alcaraz, that we shouldn't just assume it's going to click. Like, I wonder whether he needs the kind of season that Igor Sviontek had in 2021, where, remember, she was like the consistent. most consistent player. She was the only yeah. one who reached the second week of all the slams. She maybe didn't have the big results like she had in 2020, breaking through and winning Roland Garros, but she laid a lot of foundations and improved her game and... And was just consistently there. And then obviously we know what she did in, in 2022. I, I wonder whether, like, I don't think, as I said, I don't think Alcaraz would sign up for that now because he wants he wants the big success. But at the same time, if he did have a season like that, I don't, I don't think it would necessarily be the worst thing for him. Yeah, I I think that's a very good point, actually. Um, There are, uh, in terms of other events that are happening this week, I mentioned um, Doha, where Belinda Bencic isn't playing, but Sviontek is. She's the top seed. She could face Danielle Collins in her first match. Ridiculous. Uh, Jessica Pegula also playing there. Um, Incidentally, she she released a, a really incredible Players' Tribune article uh, this week, um, which I'd recommend that you uh, go and have a read of if you want to learn a bit more about Jessica Pegula as a person and and her journey over the last year or so. Uh, Caroline Garcia and Coco Goff playing in Doha as well. Uh, could have Bedosa Haddad Meyer in the opening round. Zachary Zhung, uh, Zhung Xingwen, that is, sorry, Krejcikova, Kudimitova. Um Bedos is an interesting one, isn't she? Because she's she's tumbling down the rankings um, as the points come off, um, just like Annette Contivate has just tumbled down the rankings as these uh, points from the end of 2021 come off her ranking. Um, and so she's going to start having these incredibly tricky first rounds, which when you're just desperate for wins and confidence any way you can... Um, you know, it's easy to get just stuck in a cycle, isn't it? So going to be interesting uh, for players like that. The ATP is, uh, as well as being in Buenos Aires this week with Carlos Alcaraz, uh, they're in uh, Delray Beach as well. Taylor Fritz playing there, Tommy Paul, Denis Shapovalov, uh, Mirmi Ketsmanovic, Ben Shelton is in the draw there. Marcus Giron in, in round one for him. I will be tuning into that for sure and the ATP is also in Rotterdam this week for a 500 event Stefanos Tsitsipas faces Emil Rusevori in round one Rublev takes on Dominor uh, and Medvedev faces Alejandro Davidovich Fakina uh, Felix Auger-Liassime Holger Rune Yannick Sinner Stamberinka Alexander Zverev Hubert Herkacz Borna Choric all in the draw there as well 
Um, a few other bits to wrap up from the last couple of weeks. We had Davis Cup qualifiers, Matt. You were keeping a very close eye on uh, a fair few of those. Yes, I was. And just to just to pick out a few highlights, there was a great tie between Switzerland and, and Germany, uh, which went all the way to the to the fifth match. And it's quite interesting. Switzerland have got this quite youthful youthful team. Um, Mark Andrea Husler's in, in his sort of mid twenties. He he won a couple of matches. They've got Dominic Stricker as well, who's young and coming through. And yet it was it was Stan Wawrinka. Who uh, who secured the who secured the winning point against Daniel Altmaier? So I think that was that was great for him. Um, we watched Great Britain go to Colombia and win in you know extreme altitude, and despite losing the opening singles match there, uh, Dan Evans lost, but then but then teamed up with Neil Skupski in that in that doubles partnership that you know I think everyone had been sort of wanting to see, and Dan Evans had sort of put his neck on the line really and said, you know, basically play me with Neil Skupski and I'll deliver. And, and he did because they beat Cabal and Farah to help, to help Britain through there. And then probably the two most sort of interesting results were that um, Korea came from two nil down for the first time ever to beat Belgium. Um, and Johan van Herk, the Belgium captain has, that was his final, final tie. So tough, tough way to go for him. Who's been, really successful with Belgium, uh, but great result for Korea. So they're through as are Finland for the first time. I was, I was following this time, this tie. They're through to the Davis Cup finals for the first time after uh, beating Argentina. And what was interesting about this is they were on the cusp of qualifying last year in the exact same arena. You know, they were, they were 2-1 up last year against Belgium and lost both reverse singles. This time they managed to get over the line with um, Emil Roussevori clinching the winning point. So, um, so yeah, lots of good ties. We don't know the groups yet for the for the finals. That will that draw will be done soon. But yeah, Croatia, France, USA, Switzerland, Great Britain, Serbia, Chile, Sweden, Czech Republic, Finland, and Korea all all winning in Davis Cup a couple of weeks ago. Good stuff, <laughs> in the words of Darren Walton, uh, which, if you don't understand our re- uh, that reference, then become a friend of the Tennis Podcast and listen to our Australian Open Review show uh, for the iconic Darren Walton. Um, what else did we have? We had uh, a first career title in Hua Hin, Thailand, last week for Zhu Lin, uh, who, if you're thinking, where do I know that name from? She had that run at the Australian Open, beat Maria Sakkari there, didn't she? Uh, beat, no, lost to Victoria Azarenka, but really showed um, showed, showed what she could do at the Australian Open. And Victoria Azarenka said after her win, she was really taken with her, wasn't she? She said, you might not have heard of her, but she's, she's coming. And I, I find it so impressive that she immediately went out and, and backed that up by going to... Uh, to win her first title in Hua Hin. And I don't quite understand where she's been <laughs> for the last decade of her career. Actually, um, she's so good. Azarenka, the last time I heard her say something like that about an opponent was Igor Fiontek about three years ago, um, just before she went and won the French Open. I remember she wow. they played each other, I think, in 
in one or two one of the events shortly before that either not the US Open or the or the one before that and um she just said you know I'm really taken with her and so not not trying to suggest that Julian's uh, going to do exactly the same thing or anything like that but you never know do you a player like that who's seasoned who recognizes ability I think is worth listening to yeah I think she's really good Julian really really good um, as is Alicia Parks, uh, who won the title in Lyon. She beat Caroline Garcia there. It was, it was fun times. Alicia Parks is fun times. She is, she's all the things that we were just saying about Wu Yi being an artifice. Um, throw her in there as well. She is somebody that I will seek out, uh, follow, wish well, and pay very close attention to. Yeah, oh, I I loved her her run in in Lyon. I think I think she's been a bit of a tennis insider's pick to to sort of have a good good season. Um, I remember actually seeing a a Q and A on Sloane Stevens's Instagram where she picked out Alicia Parks and Katie Volinets to have big seasons in twenty twenty three, and that's that's gone well already because obviously Volinets uh, made made the third round in Melbourne beating Kudamatova, so. Maybe Stevens has got a really sort of good eye as well for for picking out players, but um, yeah, she she's great. I think the main thing that stands out is her serve. Like it's it's fast, it's accurate. She hits a lot of aces, and in that in that final against Garcia, she just served so well under pressure. Like there was a lot of times where she was maybe break point down or love thirty down, and she just had a big serve when she needed it. And not least at five all in in the second set and she's just missed the first serve and the crowd are sort of cheering, you know, it's a, it's a pretty partisan crowd. They want Caroline Garcia to win in, in Lyon. They're cheering her first serve into the net and she just steadies herself and hits a second serve ace. And not only does that, so good. but then gives it back to the French crowd. It was, oh, oh it was, it was, it was iconic. It was fantastic. <laughs> and, and she is a shot maker. Uh, she, she hit a, a great tweener lob winner in, on, on route to that title. And she's just, I find her really engaging on court. She's got a lot of sort of interesting mannerisms. She's, She's constantly sort of pointing either to her head or to the sky and she's willing herself on. I think I think she expects a lot of herself. Um, she's a great, great athlete as well. And yeah, that was her first WTA title. It, it, it moved her, her streak indoors at that point was 15 wins in a row because she won a couple of sort of one, two, five events at the back end of last season. She did, she did lose early this week, but obviously she was pretty tired, I think, after Lyon, but... Yeah, again, just a great presence to have on on the tour. I, I really, really like Alicia Parks. I think I think I think she's a real deal. Mm, yeah, look out for her if you get the chance. Uh, there was also a challenger title for Liam Brody in Lithuania without dropping a set. He's a friend of the show, and we like to uh, keep an eye on his progress. A uh, couple of bits of other news that you may or may not have heard about from the past week. Um, this from uh, the BBC Sport website, former world number two Alexander Zverev will not face disciplinary action following an investigation into allegations of domestic abuse. The ATP investigation found there was insufficient evidence 
to substantiate claims by the claims made by the German's former girlfriend, Olia Sharipova. Uh, she, in 2020, accused Verab of, of violence and emotional abuse during their relationship, which he denies. Uh, the ATP decision could be re-evaluated should new evidence come to light. Um, the governing body of men's professional tennis said it commissioned a private investigation company, the Lake Forest Group, to look into the allegations. It conducted extensive interviews with both Sharipova and Zverev and spoke to 24 other people, including family, friends and players. Um, and in a not dissimilar vein, uh, we have the news that Nick Kyrgios... Uh, admitted assaulting his ex-girlfriend but has avoided conviction this from the bbc news website um the nick Kyrgios submitted a guilty plea in a canberra court this after his lawyers failed to have the charge dismissed on mental health grounds um Kyrgios pushed kiara passari onto the pavement during a row in canberra in 2021 the court heard the magistrate called the incident a single act of stupidity or frustration and spared him a criminal record. Um, so he pleaded guilty, but the case was dropped. Um, and in terms of sort of our understanding of a, a legal process situation that allows that to happen, it's, it's pretty confusing to us. And um, my rudimentary knowledge of the British legal system, having worked in it for a year is I'm not sure this could happen here but anyway um it has happened in Canberra um Nick Kyrgios released a statement after the ruling saying he was grateful to the court for commissing com dismissing the charges without conviction he says I was not in good place in a good place when this happened and I reacted to a difficult situation in a way I deeply regret I know it wasn't okay and I'm seriously sincerely sorry for the hurt I caused just to say Catherine um I had a quick word with the ATP about this as well to see whether they might look into it um given that it is a guilty plea um and uh, they said that they do generally get reviewed in the context of the conduct contrary to the integrity of the game provision in the rules so it's possible there may be a follow-up there not that we've got any indication that there will be okay good good to know if there are any updates in that situation, then uh, then we will, of course, keep you updated. Um, we should uh, go back to the Australian Open, just because I'd like to go, just take me back, basically. <laughs> uh, but also because we didn't have time at the time to cover the fact that Shingo Kanida announced his retirement during the tournament at the age of 38, most successful men's wheelchair player of all time. 28 Grand Slam singles titles, 22 Grand Slam doubles titles. I'm going to do some maths for you. That is 50 Grand Slam titles. Ridiculous. Also four Paralympic gold medals. He retired as the number one, uh, having spent 582 weeks total on top. That is so cool, retiring as the number one. That's, I mean... That's just the absolute coolest. Um, and in terms of his legacy, well, there are now four Japanese players in the top 12 
of the wheelchair rankings, including a 16-year-old, Takito Oda, who's the world number three. Um, and uh, we covered him a little bit, didn't we, during the Australian Open? Um, 16, I mean, that's that's really exciting. And that is his, that's Shingo Kanida's living legacy, isn't it? So, um, so congratulations on an incredible career and good luck for whatever's next to him. And uh, we have a correction. I'm not sure, is this a correction? I don't know. But we would like to point out that it has emerged since our Australian Open final podcast that uh, Novak Djokovic didn't have the 22 uh, emblazoned jacket in his bag throughout the final. Uh, The word on the street is that his team had it uh, with them and handed it to him from the stands and he didn't know about it. Which is fine. I'm not like laying blame at anyone's door for the the 22 jacket. I just don't like it. <laughs> Wherever it came from, I don't like it. There's still stop a... doing jackets with numbers on There's, tennis. There is still stop a lost it. property bin, isn't there? Full of all of this stuff somewhere. Yes. Of of the ones that didn't make it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So whoever knows the answer, whether did Djokovic's team secretly have a calendar slam jacket or other piece of clothing or equipment that Djokovic was never aware of? They must have. My my question remains. It has to have happened, I think. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) But I I want the details. Um, Some uh, tennis podcast news, folks. We have the winner of our on-location competition to win that fabulous prize package to go to the Miami Open presented by Itao and have breakfast potentially with or in the vicinity of your last chance to insert Middling level tennis player here. Matt's got one. Off you go. <laughs> well, Yuri Lehechka came to mind, but actually he's oh, he, he's, he's doing well. He's a Grand Slam quarter finalist. Yeah. I but, mentioned him the other week, Matt. I was going to go yeah, with Radu Albot. Well, very good. Is he still is he still playing? Don't Not know. sure he is. <laughs> Don't think he'll make main draw in Miami. But anyway, there's a challenge of the week before. <laughs> I doubt. I doubt our winner. Cassie from Hampton Cove in Alabama is is too bothered about whether Radio Albot will be there for her incredible stay in Miami. Um, her favourite player is Rafael Nadal. Oh, think, fingers crossed that Nadal will make it back in time for Miami. <laughs> Yeah. Uh don't know. But anyway, lots of lots of other great players, Cassie. Uh she's a big fan of Matt Stat. Now Matt Stat will will be back for Miami. Uh will, it hasn't been anywhere other than the newsletter. Um anyway, uh, she's a big fan of Matt Stat and in the mix conversations, in the mix is uh, capitalized here and doesn't even have spaces between yeah. the words. Um Yep, not sure what that's about. Uh, she's never been to a professional tennis tournament before. This will be her tour debut and she plans on taking her dad with her, which is absolutely blooming lovely. Um, so I'm really excited for Cassie and I will be in Miami. So if we overlap, then um, I will try and say hi. I mean, if Cassie wants that, she might she might not want that at all. <laughs> 
we will see. Um, so thank you to On Location and Steve Fogel's International Tennis Stores for offering that prize package. The The competition has now, of course, closed. Uh, but Friends of the Tennis Podcast get a 5% discount to all Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours packages in 2023. So become a the friend of the pod to get access to that 5% discount code. Uh, you can email us for details or keep an eye on our newsletter. Uh, more very important uh, news, which is that we have mascots for this week's show. It is Missy and Grady. Uh, they are a cat-dog duo. Uh, they are owned by Amy and Wright Brian and put forward as mascots by Two Fom. And Two says, Missy and Grady are not my pets, but I wanted to support the tennis podcast at a higher level, so I'm submitting the pets of my friends, Amy and Wright Brian, who introduced me to the tennis podcast several years ago. We all live in the Capitol Hill neighbourhood of Washington, D.C. Missy plays the role of a too-cool-for-school cat. I mean, isn't that the role of all cats? Uh, but is secretly an emotional support cat when someone in the Brian household is feeling under the weather, which is... Which is lovely. Grady is a social butterfly, whether it's humans, other dogs like his dog cousin who growled and snarled at him, or neighbourhood squirrels. I just Billy Jean really must be tired because I've just said squirrels and she hasn't even stirred. Squirrels. <laughs> she's, she's looking. She's she's, <laughs> she's looking. Uh, he knows how to charm everyone into becoming his friend, whether they like it or not, and. Uh, Two, thank you ever so much for bringing Missy and Grady into our lives because there is nothing I love more in the world than inter-animal friendships. <laughs> it's my favourite thing. If if I need to lose past sort of four hours, uh, then it's go on Instagram and look at a video of an inter-animal friendship <laughs> and... Then the algorithm goes, would you like more videos of inter-animal friendships? And my subconscious says, yes, please. And before you know it, it's 1am. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you very much to two, to Amy and Wright and to Missy and Grady for being our mascots for the week. We have our mascots. David, you've got Maisie. Right, Maisie. I've got Xenia. Matt has got Darwin. Billy Jean has uh, has got Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. Squirrel, squirrel, <laughs> <laughs> getting a head tilt. Uh, we have our executive producers and top folks, Jamie, Drew, and Hannah. Hello to you all, and we have shout outs, Matt. We have Bill Hawes, and Bill is from Braintree in Essex, and he celebrated his birthday on the 9th of February. So, happy birthday, Bill. Oh, oh happy birthday, The day birthday, before Bill. mine. Yeah. Almost my birthday, buddy. Like Bill Scanlon, who was a, yes. a player from yesteryear, even before my day, to be quite honest, but, uh, but I've heard his name come up once or twice in uh, Tennis Relived. Yes, and Bill, Bill Tilden. Bill, the same birthday as my oldest friend, Sarah. Oh. In fact, my two oldest friends uh, went to primary school together, Sarah and Grace. Our birthdays are the 9th, 10th and 11th of February. Wow. <laughs> mm. 
Fun fact. Ex- anyway, extended thank birthday you, Bill. weekend for you all. Yes. Yes. Great. Yes, and then uh, I remember Abigail Pearson had her birthday on the twelfth, but we're no longer no friends. Longer friends. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday for yesterday, Abigail. <laughs> Who else have we got, Matt? We have got Curtis Perpetti. Curtis has written rhymes with spaghetti. Oh, very helpful, Curtis. Right, Curtis. Thanks for that. <laughs> Curtis knows the audience. <laughs> Curtis is in Toronto and says, let me use this opportunity to petition that Toronto and Montreal should each have a 250 or 500 level tournament in the years where they don't have a thousand event. Okay. Yeah. But wouldn't it get? But but generally, when there mm. are one thousand events on, there are no other indeed events, so it would get lost and obscured. But but I'm a big fan in a of, those, week, of Toronto and Montreal. They could do with as, one the week before. Yeah, they? week before that works. Mm. That's yeah, what we'll do. Fine, sold, done. Okay, that's what tennis needs: more events. We've been saying <laughs> that for a long time. There's just not enough tennis, and they need us to just sort of make up all the rules on the hoof <laughs> yeah. mid podcast. Um, yeah okay Uh, next shout out thank you Curtis (laughs) last one today is for Michelle Fenlon in Virginia USA right Michelle hello Michelle capital Richmond like Michelle Larcher de Brito oh Matt Roberts you are a star I mean, when was the last time Very you heard good. her name? That's a long time ago. She didn't really happen, Michelle Larcher de Brito, did she? She had one French Open where everybody was talking about her, I remember. And mm. uh, and then I don't remember too much more after that. But she was absolutely a tennis player. So well done, <laughs> Matt. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, Michelle. Do we have any further info about Michelle? Uh, Michelle says that she found the pod during the pandemic and it was great during Aww. those endless dog walks to get fresh air. Oh, thanks, Aww. Michelle. Any details on the dog? No details on the dog, I'm afraid. I would okay. have told you if there were details on the dog. You would, you would. Get in touch, Michelle. <laughs> Let us know. Send us pictures. Always welcome. Uh, thank you to all our mascots. Uh, thank you to Dana for introducing the show. Uh, if you'd like to introduce the show, we'll get yourself a shout out or get access to the Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours discount code for 2023. Then you can become a friend of the pod via our show notes. Uh, and you should very much also subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. We will be back with another weekly show on Monday, uh, at which point we'll be we'll be just two weeks out from Indian Wells, and uh, I might even start packing. Uh, not that I'm excited <laughs> or anything. Uh, so we'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.